Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, thanks for coming out today. You did not get a chance earlier to say hi to someone sitting around you, so I'm going to give you that chance right now. Take like 20 seconds, turn around. If you have to stand up, go ahead and just say hi to someone. Make it a little atmosphere here of friendliness. Hi, Greg. What's up, Nate? How are you? Good. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. There we go. That feels better, doesn't it? Huh? Feels like home. Yeah, man. You got to talk to people when you come to church. Hey, we are getting ready for Easter around here, and we are absolutely pumped. And so a few months ago, we were talking about what's the best way, really, to start getting our church ready for Easter as individuals and also just as a corporate movement, a congregation. What do we need to do to get ready for Easter? And we thought that there were probably some things that were heavy on our heart that might also resonate with your heart around some things that we could do to begin to get ready. Like I said last week, not just in terms of making sure the teams are ready and all the you know, things are organized and clean and kids are ready for the 250 kids that are going to come check in and all that sort of stuff, but what do we do so that we get our hearts ready for all that God wants to do on Resurrection Sunday? And so we kicked off this series last week called Three Things You Need to Know Before Easter. And last week, Ben and I were up here and we talked about one simple point, and it was the idea that God wants you to love him more than he wants you to know him. And um, I'm happy to report to you that last week several things happened, but one of them was really cool is somewhere around nine people decided they wanted to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life for the very first time. And so it was a great Sunday for our church. Yeah. Turns out you can come to Jesus with questions, and he's big enough to handle those, and uh, that was a freeing thing to learn for a lot of people. And today, Pastor Nate and I want to talk with you about a concept that's really important to him as he leads family ministries, and it's also important just to every aspect of our church. And here's the idea I want you to get your head around today. We're going to unpack it a little bit for you over the next hour and a half, so be ready. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be an hour and a half. I'm Here's out. the idea. Circles are more important than rows. Circles are more important than rows. Say that with me. Circles, Circles are, are more, more important, important than, than rows. rows. Now, before I tell you what that means, I want to take just a second and give you an opportunity to hear about the Build Lives campaign. So shift gears with me for just a minute. We kicked off back in last October, late October, early November, this thing called Build Lives. And for us, it is a capital campaign for us to build out our new home up on Cox Road, just off of I-75, a few miles north of here. It's been going really, really well. Many of you have been to Pastor's ben, Pastor Ben's house or a meeting about that. You've made a pledge or a commitment, and you're following through with that. We just want to say thank you. Keep sending your commitment in. Things are going well. And soon, in fact, next week when Pastor Ben gets back, he's going to tell you about an opportunity to get together and find out about an update. However... If you were here and you weren't around for that initial round of meetings where you could find out what the whole deal is and what all we're doing, we want to invite you to a meeting with a few dozen other people coming up this Tuesday, March 27th. So it's not tomorrow, but the next day. If you would like to find out more about that, you can come and find out more. You don't have to bring your checkbook or your wallet. It's not that. We just want to inform you about what's going on. So if you want to be there, all you have to do is pull out your Connect card right now before you forget and just mark on there, right next to your name, Build Lives, or Meeting, or Contact Me. And we're going to send you an email tomorrow with the info. I think the meeting starts at like 6.30 or something like that. I don't even know. But we'll send you an information via email about that so that you can get all you need to know along with some directions to Pastor Ben's house. I think you're going to love it. 
there's going to be some really cheap pizza and some water, so don't get your hopes up. It's going to be <laughs> terrific. So circles are more important than rows. And here, here's the concept that I want you to get your head around today as we begin to unpack it for you. What we do on a Sunday morning here in this room really happens in rows. I mean, you're sitting in them right now. In fact, you're staring at Nate and I in your little row that you're sitting in. Rows are cool, and what we do on Sunday mornings is very important. In fact, we like to say that Sunday mornings in this room are really the engine and caboose of the train that we call Four Corners. But there's a lot of other things that go on besides what happens here in this room on Sunday mornings. And none of those really happen in rows. Rows are kind of privatized. You kind of come in and get in your little seat and you stare at the stage while we do our thing. And maybe you engage in the worship and you sing and you clap your hands and you raise your hands and you jump around and you fill out your connect card and do that. But it's really, it's a pretty passive thing sitting in a row and experiencing church. Behind that though, this morning starting at 7 o'clock, all throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, there are circles that meet that really are the heartbeat of what goes on here at Four Corners. They're little groups of community, small groups of community, people that get together and do activities or study the Word of God or go on outings together, and they form, over time, friendships and community that really are what church is all about. I mean, outside of sharing the gospel of Jesus and inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and helping other people who need help through social means and giving them money and providing food and clothing. One of the things that makes church really unique in this world is that community is formed that's different than the kind of community you can get outside of the four walls of a church. Rows are passive. Circles are active. In rows, you stare and look at someone else. In circles, you look other people in the face. And today, Nate and I want to invite you, if you're not already, to get involved in some circles around four corners because you need it. I need it. Everyone needs circles in their life. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to have Pastor Nate up here, besides the fact that he's very good looking and a lot taller than I am, <laughs> is I wanted him to share with you an experience he had with circles just this week. Now, this is not in an attempt to get you down right here at the beginning. Usually I'd like to tell a funny story or a joke. It's a pretty serious thing that happened to Nate, but in his story, you're going to see what I'm talking about as it relates to circles and how important they are. And then I'm going to describe to you some other things about it, Pastor Nate and I are. And at the end, we're going to give you an opportunity to get involved in some. So, Nate, why don't you tell people what happened to you just over the last 10 days or so, you and your wife? Yeah, so this idea of, of circles being more important than rows really came alive, <clears throat> pardon me, in Suzanne and I's life. She, last Friday, I got a phone call from her. She was at work. And she said, hey, I'm having some pretty serious abdominal pain, and I'm not sure what to do. And so me being the good husband I am, I was just like, well, why don't you call the doctor? And, <laughs> and I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm having, and trying to enjoy a day off here. She, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so what she, a pastor. Yeah. So she, um, so she actually, she calls her doctor, and the doctor's not calling her back, and she's like, this pain just keeps getting worse. What do I do? I said, well, let's, you know, let's go to the hospital. So on her way home from work, I'm driving to the hospital to meet her. She calls me, says, hey, I'm headed to the doctor's office. And so I meet her at the doctor's office. They run some tests there, and they send her, they send her out to a separate location to get some more test, tests ran. Then we go to another doctor's appointment from there. And the doctor's, I don't think, really 100% sure what's going on. He's trying to pinpoint these symptoms, which 
can be multiple different things and just give us an answer. And so he's, he's kind of him hawing around and just saying, hey, this is, this may be what it is. And my wife, she asks, she says, well, do you think there's a chance I could be pregnant? And he says, oh, I don't know. What do you think? And we're like, well, it's been six and a half years. We've been trying. It's not ever worked out yet, but what if? So he gives her a pregnancy test, and he comes back in. And he said, well, this throws a whole new loop in the plan because you're pregnant. And now here we are, a married couple who's been wanting a child, been praying for a child, been trusting God for a child for six and a half years since we've been married. And now we get the news, and then we get the news shortly after that that, hey, there may be something wrong, but we're not sure. So why don't you just go home for the weekend and come back and see us on Monday? And we're like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so Sunday after church, we leave. We go back to the hospital to get some more blood work done. We go back Monday um, to see her doctor again. Her doctor says, I don't know. Still, I don't know. I'd like to run some more tests tomorrow. And so we go uh, Tuesday morning. 8.15 to the hospital. We have blood work done. We have an ultrasound done. And then we're back to the doctor's office at 10.15. And the doctor proceeds to tell us that she's about 99% sure that the child that we are pregnant with is Tubal and that the baby's just not going to make it. And so all these thoughts start going through my head. My wife is falling apart They're right, right in front of me, and so I'm trying to comfort her and encourage her and I kind of resort back to how I was when I was growing up mentally. I start questioning God, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I started saying to him, God, I've prayed more than I've ever prayed in my life. I have read my Bible more than I've ever read my Bible. I have went to church more than I've ever went to church. I've been faithful to you, and this thing just doesn't seem to be getting any better. What's the deal? And like God does a lot of times, he just lets us kind of sit there for a minute and figure out who he is in the midst of all this. So we get home after all this news, and Suzanne opens her Facebook up, which she does a lot, and there sits two messages in, in her Facebook inbox from two of our kids' volunteers. They don't know what's going on. The only people that know are our families and Greg and Ben. And these, these two ladies are saying, hey, I think something might be wrong. Can we just pray for you? We're here for you if you need anything. And the light bulb pops on in my head that, oh, this is what it's all about. This is really the church being the church. This is really circles coming into action. This is really our small group of friends that we serve alongside, that we do life with. This is them coming around to surround us. And the interesting thing happened to us, what should have probably put us out of commission for months, just put us in an emotional funk for months. We rebound from fairly quickly. We still have the stuff that we're dealing with, the emotions that we're dealing with, but we've got a family that's come around us that's not our family. It's our church rallying around us, encouraging us, praying for us, bringing us meals, telling us it's going to be okay. God is in control. Here we are hitting a stumbling place in our life. And instead of laying and wallowing in our own self-pity, our church family is, is coming around us and just encouraging. It was amazing to me. 
Greg. It was yeah. amazing. How many of you have ever been in a situation, maybe not exactly like Nate, but where you were just in one of those places where you just needed help, but you didn't know how to ask, or maybe you were, didn't want to ask, or maybe you were too embarrassed to ask. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that, where it's just life was hard, kind of threw you a curveball, you could have used some friends? A lot, a lot of times family jumps in there, but... N- Family doesn't always jump in, and sometimes, depending on your family situation, it may not be healthy. It, you may not have a close relationship with your family. It's nice to know that there are other people out there who are in a similar frame of mind, who are on a similar path in life, who are heading towards a similar goals that you are. And that's what Nate got to experience. And one of the things we wanted to do as we get ready for Easter around here is we wanted to make sure that all of you who are already here, who call Four Corners, church home, we want to make sure you have an opportunity when life throws you a curveball to experience the love and the support and the reaching out and the prayer like Pastor Nate got to experience. Many of you sitting in the room experience that on a regular basis because you're already plugged into one of the small groups that happen around here or one of the serving teams that happen around here. But I know also many of you aren't. We have about 600 people that come on a Sunday morning and attend our church. And only about 200 or so people get engaged in serving or small groups. Sometimes there's around 250, depending on the season that we're in for the year. And our heart is that 100% of the 600 people that come to be part of Four Corners would not just sit in a row and be passive watchers of what goes on at church. We want 100% of you to experience life the way Nate and Suzanne got to experience life. Because here's the reality. If you didn't raise your hand a second ago because life has never really thrown you a curveball, I can promise you that life is going to throw you a curveball at some point, and you're going to need it. And one of the things about relationships and community and Christian community is that it takes a little time to develop. Sometimes if you wait to the point when life throws you the curveball, it's too late to begin forming the relationships that you really need to help get you through. And so... Even if you're not at that place in life right now, I want to let you know that it's coming. And I want you to begin preparing now so that when that moment comes, you're ready to receive all the love and support that you're due as a member of God's family. God works in this way. He sent his son Jesus to take care of our sins and institute this thing called the church. And one of the primary roles of church is for us to rally together in times of need and in times of support. God called us to circles. That's what he started way back in the book of Acts. And again, today, I want you to get a burden in your heart, if you don't already have it, that you need to be involved in circles at Four Corners Church. In fact, I'm not only promising you that this is going to happen in your life as it hasn't already happened. Jesus himself lets us know that life is going to throw us curveballs. There are going to be stumbling blocks in life that happen to us And they might not just be emotional stumbling blocks. They might be the kind of stumbling blocks that derail your entire faith. In fact, if you have your Bible today and you want to open and look with me at what I'm talking about, you can go to the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, starting in verse 1. I want to just tell you one of those nice little promises that Jesus gave us. But this isn't the kind of promise that you're going to see on your inspirational calendar that you have sitting on your work desk. This is one of those that none of us really like to think about, but yet... It's as much a promise as some of the nice things that we like to think about. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble 
are bound to come. They're not likely to come. It's not that they might come. It's not that they're going to only come to certain people. Things that cause people to stumble are going to come. It's going to happen in life. And like many of you have already experienced, it's happened to you already. And the bad news for you is it's probably not going to be the only thing that happens to you in your life. There's probably going to be several instances of stumbling that happen to you as you go through life. Aren't you glad you came to church today for this uplifting message? (laughs) It's going to happen, and we don't want to leave you here wondering about what you're going to do when that happens. We want you to leave here with an action plan and getting ready for what you're going to do. Nate had a story of kind of a, a, a curveball that came to life that was very emotional, and he needed friendship, and he needed support. But like I said a second ago, a lot of the things that come in life might start there, but sometimes they end up in a situation where the stumbling causes you to stumble out of church. It could be that something happens in your life, maybe it started out as emotional, or maybe you just had a bad experience, and something causes you to stumble out of faith. How many of you ever known someone that just kind of stumbled out of church or out of faith because something bad happened in their life? Maybe they had a bad church experience or they just kind of got out of the habit. Maybe they got involved in sports and they kind of got out of church for a few weeks or a few months and they never really got back into the habit of being in church. Or they were in this activity at church and someone said something the wrong way and they just kind of stumbled away from what was already a priority in their life. Not only sometimes do you need the rallying and support of people who need to be there for you emotionally, but sometimes the stumbling really gets at a deeper spiritual level than just an emotional level. And things happen in your life that cause you to just stumble away from what God would have you make a priority in your life. I mean, sometimes it's true that people stumble away from that really personal relationship with Jesus. It's It's not that they lose their salvation, but... Maybe they used to have a habit of reading their Bible or praying, and they felt this really close connection with God. And something happened in their life that derailed that, that got them off those tracks. And now what used to be this close, intimate feeling and relationship that they had with Jesus is now this very distant thing that's happening. And when those sorts of things happen, when people stumble away from church or stumble away from faith or stumble away from this personal connection with God, circles can be there to help rally them back in a way that sitting in a row never will. The reality is if you just come to church and you sit in a row and you stumble away, probably no one's going to notice because you've been doing private church. You've been doing observational church. You haven't been doing face-to-face church. And that's not at all the plan that God has for your life. Jesus didn't really tell us the list of all the things that are going to cause us to stumble, but you know that they're out there. You know that they're likely to happen. And the other reason I wanted Nate to be up here today is not just to share his story, but if you're a parent in the room, you know it's true that there are things in this life that are going to cause your students and your teenagers to stumble. If you're a parent, you're very aware of that. In fact, you might be more aware of that than you are about the things in life that are going to cause you to stumble. I have a 12-year-old son. He just entered middle school. I'm terrified of the things that might cause him to stumble, the wrong friend group that he might begin associating with, the, the, the things at this middle school that he might be exposed to that he's never going to be exposed to at home. I'm worried about my middle schooler stumbling. 
if you have smaller kids, even prior to that, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. I'm worried about them stumbling. They're getting a nice little foundation about God and the importance of Jesus in their life and how Jesus can be their forever friend, both at home and at church. But I know that they're exposed to things that are out of my control, and they're going to be opportunities for them to stumble. Not only bad influences, but they're going to have little emotional things that happen in their life. A sickness in the family, a mom or a dad that go in the hospital, a grandparent that dies. All of those little things that can cause them to stumble. Age and stumbling are things that, uh, stumbling is not, is not specific to any age. Everyone is potentially going to be exposed to stumbling. And we don't want you to be there without someone to lend you a helping hand to help you stand up. It's important, if you don't remember anything else that we're saying today, that you move out of rows and move in to circles. See, Solomon, Solomon talks about circles being more important than rows as well. As many of you know, Solomon, one of the wisest men in the Bible other than Jesus, he said, had a tendency of saying a lot of incredible things that he simply didn't follow himself. You see, Solomon, when you look at his story, he actually gives us the reason that Solomon screwed up, even though he didn't know this is what he was doing. He simply just didn't take his own advice when, when it boils down to it. See, what he said was extremely wise, it was extremely practical, it was extremely important. But to him, he just chose not to follow what he was saying. He actually, if you look at his life as a whole, you can, you can say and make the case that he became a case study of what happens when you don't do what Solomon says to do. Now, if you're like me, immediately I'm like, yeah, Solomon, you suck. Um, <laughs> so I want to speak to the moms and dads real quick in the room. See, this happens to us a lot. We experience this with our kids when we tell our kids to do something, and then our kids flip it right back around and then tell us that we don't do what we just told them to do. So we'll give Solomon a buy on this because Solomon is a lot like us. And when he starts really diving into the circles being more important than rows, we look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And he says this, he says, two are better than one. And see, this is an amazing verse. This is some amazing insight that was written over a thousand years ago. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. What Solomon is saying here is that one man, one person, can do the work of only one man. But if you get two people involved, if you get two men, well, you're probably going to get the work of about three men out of them. There's this whole idea, idea of synergy happening. You can look at it this way as well. If you look at oxen working in a field, ox, one oxen can only pull what one oxen can pull. But you put two oxen together, you're probably getting three to four times the power out of those two oxen than just the one working a low. Once again, the principle of synergy, you're just getting a better return. The group is stronger than the individual. And then he says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. If you're walking with someone, just practically, and you stumble, and you fall down, that other person, what are they going to do? Their natural instinct is going to be to reach down and help you get back up. Let's say, for instance, that you're walking with someone and both of you fall. 
the likelihood when you stumble together of you staying down is much lower. You'll most likely get back up and rebound together. And then Solomon says this, he says, but. And for me, this is a big but. Because, see, this is our world that we're living in. This is your teenager's world. This is your fifth grader, your third grader. This is your world. This is the freshman you sent off to college this past fall. It's their world. This is the, the person who finds themselves single after being married for 30 or more years. This is your world. He says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. He says, pity that fifth grader. Pity the parent who struggles and stumbles. Pity them. You see, we get, in, in the church office, we get many difficult phone calls throughout the week. A lot of them sound something like this. They say, they start off, you know, Pastor Nate, I need help. My, I need some help with my 16-year-old. You know, they just got their license, and they're not coming home at curfew on time. I think they're participating in just some things that aren't healthy for them. Can you help me? Sometimes the phone call goes like this. Hey, I'm really worried about my husband. He's been working later and later at work, and there's this really cute girl at his office. Sometimes it's, hey, my wife, I think she's struggling again with prescription drugs. Sometimes it's the flip, and it's the kid calling us saying, hey, I don't know what to do. My mom is a mess. And one of the first questions we ask them is, are you in a group? Because we know if they are in a group, then there, is, there are people around them that although they are dealing with a stumbling situation or maybe stumbling themselves or their families falling apart, that group we know will rally around them and help them get back up. Solomon says, pity the person. Pity the person who stumbles and falls and no one has access to their life except for them. Pity the person that stumbles and falls and there's no one else involved in their life so when they fall, they, they have no help to get back up. They're stuck alone. Pity that person. You see, the last thing as pastors, as a church, that we want for you is for you to experience a, a stumbling problem in your life and to turn around and look for that person to help you get back up and that person not be there. And all of a sudden, you realize there's no one there. You see, as Greg said just a few minutes ago, it's too late to begin building community, to, be, to begin building those relationships when you need them. It's too late. You have to be intentional about building those relationships, building that community when you're normal, when you're healthy, when you're not stumbling, when you're, when you're not fallen. On the flip side, we also don't want you to miss out on the blessing, on the opportunity to help someone who's fallen. That's, that's why circles are so much more important than rows. Yeah, you know, it's, it's easy to, to stumble. Like we have made the point now, uh, if you don't understand it or hear it or believe it by now, I just, you're not paying attention. It, it's easy to stumble. You're going to stumble. It's easy to stumble out of church. It's easy to stumble out of faith. It's easy to stumble out of a, that personal connection with God. It's impossible, nearly impossible to stumble out of community. Where, where true Christian community happens, it's nearly impossible to stumble out of that. That's why it's so important that you get involved 
in circles. One of the problems with stumbling, um, there are a lot of them, but one of the problems with stumbling is that stumbling is often such a private matter. When you stumble, it it happens to you so no one knows. So either there are people close enough to you to, to realize it and they might help you out, or you've got to kind of let them know. I mean, with Nate and Suzanne, had Nate not picked up the phone and called me, we wouldn't let them know. But we wouldn't have known. But there were some people around that knew something just wasn't jiving. But stumbling is such a private matter. And if you're just sitting in a, in a row and no one's close enough for you to know, no one's going to know what's going on in your life. I mean, you can walk in this room on a Sunday morning and just lost your job on Friday. And the very first person you're going to meet is one of our greeters out front. And they're going to be, hey, how are you? And, this, and the weather's great. And we're so glad you're here. And you're thinking, life sucks. I just lost my job. I don't know what we're going to do. No one knows. However, if you were involved in a circle and you're walking down this hallway or you come in this room and you're not just plugged into a row, odds are someone in your circle, because they know your face and they know how to read your face and they've been in a community with you, they're going to know what's going on. Maybe you're in a situation where you have already let them know what's going on. And now instead of just saying, hey, how are you? Isn't the weather nice? which is really all you can do if you don't know what's going on in someone's life, someone's going to be able to say to you, hey, I heard about your job, and that stinks, man. We're going to be there for you. In fact, if you need anything this week, you let me know, and we're going to provide you with a few meals, or we're going to go buy you some groceries. Or I know this guy who is hiring right now, or who might be hiring. I'm going to put you in contact with someone. You don't want church to just happen in rows. That's not even why you're here. You want, like every other normal, healthy person in this world, you want to be part of a community where you're known and your name is known. It's like that Cheers song that was popular back in the day when I was young. You want to be in a place where everybody knows your name, only you don't want that to be in a bar. You want it to be in church, right? <laughs> I just think I made a plug for a bar. I don't, I don't know what right. happened there. <laughs> Stumbling is such a private thing, and you want to be in a relationship. I know you do. You want to be in relationships where people know you. And they can put their arm around you, and they can give you a helping hand. And I also know this about you. You want to do that for other people. We We don't have bad people sitting in this room. Most of us aren't so callous that if we knew someone else had a need, we wouldn't reach out. We'd reach out and help. I know that's true about you. You're not going to even know how to do that if you're not connected to a circle, a community, a small group, where you know about some needs, where you can be sitting across face-to-face from someone, and when you can see it on their face, or you get the phone call, or you see the weird Facebook post, and you know something else, something's up, you can pick up the phone and give them a call, and give them the helping hand, just like what we're talking about here this morning. That's exactly right. Greg, you know, the other problem for me with stumbling is that it's indifferent to age. I, I see this probably more than anybody else just because of my role here at the church. And I, th- I really think, as we look at it, that's why we designed four corners to be the type of church that it is. That's why we were made up of a bunch of different small groups, from adults to students to kids. It's all about circles. It's all about small groups. You see, let me just give you a snapshot of what happens around here with family ministries. In, in 4C Kids right now, if you were to walk in that theater, they're probably right in the middle of small group time right now. You'd probably get shot because you don't have on the right well, it, wristband. Well, yeah, you don't have right. this wristband on, you're not getting in there. So don't go in there unless you've got the wristband. <laughs> but you would, you would probably see, you would see them playing games together in small group. You would see them having fun worshiping together. Probably some of the most, I, I think, gut-wrenching worship that it's ever experienced is to watch those young kids worship God. 
and they're doing it with their small group. See, we specifically designed Four Corners Kids so that about 90% of the learning that happens in that room happens in small group because we know it's all about helping them at an early age build the relationships, build the community that when they stumble, that community can rally around them. Same thing for, for our students. Uh, we worship, as most of you know, once a month at the underground here in Cincinnati. But weekly, we're in small groups outside of these four walls doing life together with other leaders, with other adults, with other students who are heading in the same direction because more important than anything for our students is this idea of community. Because we know it's impossible for them if we surround them with the right kind of community to stumble out of that community. Now, if you're a parent in the room, let me talk to you for just a second. This is not from the Bible, unless they just recently added the book of Nate to the New Testament. It's not from the Bible. Did not happen. Did not, okay. <laughs> I just checked this morning and it wasn't there, so I figured we were safe. Um, this is, this is kind of how I see it for parents. I think you are absolutely crazy. I would almost say you've lost your mind if you're not putting priority on small groups for your children. I'm talking from your little kids. I'm talking middle school. I'm talking high school. See, because by the time they're in 10th grade, for us and for you, it's going to be almost next to impossible for us to get them into a small group, into that community. Not because it's our fault, not because our small groups are all-inclusive, not because we don't want them, not because we're not going to welcome them, not because, not because we're going to love them, but because for you as a parent, you didn't lay the groundwork to set your child up for life and for the bigger picture of what God has for them so that when they stumble, that community surrounds them and picks them up. Because your kids will stumble. You know that, right? It's going to happen. It says it in Luke. Jesus said it. They will stumble. And you want and you need another adult speaking that same truth into your child's life that you're speaking. You want that adult calling you and partnering with you as a parent. You want them praying for you and encouraging you and having sometimes some tough conversations that you can't have because your kids are tuning you out. The best preparation, I'll leave you with this, parents, the best preparation you can make for your kids is not college, it's not sports, it's not carving out more time for any of that stuff. It's carving out more time for them to be in a small group because it's almost impossible if they're involved in that type of community, for them to stumble out of that community. Yeah, that's why it's so important and why we harp on you all the time if you're a parent to get your kids to church. We don't need the numbers. Our church is the size God wants it, and when he wants it bigger, it's going to be bigger. We don't do that because we want more kids and kids ministry. In fact, it's pretty packed in there right now, so we try to make extra room. We hound you to get your kids to Sunday mornings if they're in elementary all the way up through sixth grade to church and on Tuesday nights with Nate and his leaders out to the well, our student ministries, because we want them involved in Christian community. We want to teach them some things about the Bible. We want to give them opportunities to worship. But we want a leader who cares about them, who loves them, to stand up in front of them and help them form, along with some of their peers, a circle where they can, when they stumble, when life throws them a curveball, they can have more people who are going to be there for them 
and help them get back up, just like Ecclesiastes talks about. Not only in students, we have all kinds of opportunities for adults. We have small groups that happen around here on a regular basis. The next small group catalog is coming out sometime in June. So you can start to get ready for that in terms of clearing your calendar so you can get plugged into that. But one of the best kept secrets around here is that serving groups really act like this Christian community that I'm talking about. You might think serving groups and when we ask you to get on a team and serve, that somehow we need you to come and do some task. We're seven years old. We're well beyond needing you to do anything. We got enough committed volunteers around here that this thing's going to happen whether we get one more volunteer or not. The reason we keep harping on you to get plugged in to serve is not to get more task out of you. We want you to be on a healthy team so that you can be supported, so that you can be in a group, so that when something happens and life throws you a curveball or you stumble, there are people around you who know your face, who know your name, who can support you and help you up. And we want more of you who are in good situations in life helping those of us who are already on serving teams get back up when we need you. That's why it's critical that church come, become for you much more than just coming and sitting in a row. We want church to be for you all about being involved in a circle. So if you would pull out your connect card, I want to give you some next bold steps that you can consider taking today. The first next bold step is next bold step A. Maybe this whole idea of church and being in a circle or being in a row is brand new to you. This might be your first time here this morning. And you might have just heard some things that make you want to just begin a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't done that, you can mark next bold step A. In a second, when I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity just with your own mind and in your own heart. Ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And if you'd like to do that, you can mark next bold step A. Uh, Also, next bold step B, if you need to be baptized because you have not gone public with your faith as an adult, we think it is the most important thing you can do other than giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Mark that uh, next bold step B. Uh, The next baptisms around here are happening next Sunday. And so if you mark it, you can still get in on those, but you have to mark next bold step B. Now, next bold step C, this one ties in more with what we're talking about. I know a lot of you are already in this church experiencing circles like Nate and I talked about. But if you're not and you want to, mark next bold step C. And what we're going to do is we're going to send you an email with two or three options about how you can very quickly get plugged into a circle. The very first time you go, it's not going to be all intimate and private, and you're not going to have to share your secrets or what's going on in your life. You're just going to begin forming relationships. You're going to have an opportunity to maybe get on a team or get ready for small groups that are coming up. Or maybe you're marking this for your kids or your students. If you are, just write a little handwritten note on C. This is for my kids or this is for my students. And we'll get them connected with the right people. But if that's for you, make sure you mark next bold step C. If you're already involved in Christian community in this church and it's already working for you and every time we mention how valuable it is, you're amening us privately because no one here talks out loud. Go ahead and mark next bold steps D because I know it's true for you because it's been true for me every phase of my life that I know someone who needs exactly what we're talking about today. And I want you to invite them here on Easter Sunday. Again, this isn't because we need more people as a church. We're fine just the size we are. My heart, Pastor Ben's heart, Pastor Nate's heart, is that everyone that I know because I love them 
be given a chance to be part of a Christian community where they can be loved and supported and helped up in a time of need when they stumble. So if you want to commit to doing that, I'm asking you just to get bold and go out and make the ask. And don't say, hey, I know your life sucks, so I need to get you here on Easter. Just invite them here for Easter, and we'll let the normal activities of our church and the announcements and the next bold steps take care of getting them assimilated into a group. Just get them here on Easter. They're going to hear the clear message of the gospel of Jesus. They're going to be invited to begin a relationship with Jesus, and they're going to be given opportunities to get plugged into the life of our church if they want to do that. And then next bold step E, this one really doesn't relate with what we talked about specifically. This one we brought up last week, and several of you marked this, so thank you for doing this. But next bold step E says, I'm going to bring a special Easter offering to help prepare my church to reach more people with the message of our Savior. We've got this Build Lives Capital campaign going on. We're doing fine financially, but we can get to where we want to be faster with a little bit more of a cash infusion. So listen, if you've given all you can give, fine, it's no big deal. If this is your first time and you're not feeling led by God to give, no big deal. You're all the way in. If you can and you want to, we would love to have a little bit more of a cash infusion on an Easter Sunday morning offering to get us into our building just a little bit quicker than what it looks like we're going to be able to get there. So mark next bold step E and then bring your offering with you on Easter Sunday. So let's pray and then we're going to sing one more song before we go home today. Bow with me if we would. God, we love you. And God, we're grateful for your love for us. That not only do you invite us into a relationship with you, but God, you invite us into Christian community, this thing called church, where real love and real support and real encouragement happens, where we're not just someone who sits in a row, but where we're part of a situation where people know our names and they know our situations in life and they care for us. God, that's my heart for everyone sitting here in this room today. If I could get them to do one thing, Lord, before Easter comes, I would get them into a group where they can be loved on and supported. So God, today I ask that you give us boldness. God, if we're afraid of this idea of letting other people know a little bit about us and be a little bit of a part of our life, I ask that you just wipe that fear away. And God, for those of us who are already involved in those situations, I ask that you just continue to give us grace and eyes to see the people in need around us so that when they stumble, we can lend them a helping hand. And God, for everyone today who decided they wanted to make you the Lord and the leader of their life, I thank you for that sacrifice and that commitment they're making to you, for that surrender that they're giving up for your leadership in their lives. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.